Welcome back to Clear Cuts. I'm your host, Tim Dukeman. I'm here with Pastor Dave and our new special guest, Pastor Joseph Spurgeon. Pastor Spurgeon is the pastor of Sovereign King in Jeffersonville, Indiana, down by Louisville. And he's also host of the Patriarchy Podcast, and we are thrilled to have him here today. And today we're going to talk about marriage, and we're going to go through um, how to choose a spouse and how to deal with the troubles that do arise in marriage. And so to start us off, Pastor Joseph, how did you and your wife meet? It was an arranged marriage. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Arranged by who? Uh, my mom, actually. So uh, true story. Uh my mom and dad got to go to the Philippines on a mission trip. My dad was an assistant pastor at a church, and the head pastor went on a mission trip. And while they were there, um, they met my wife, and my dad baptized. Uh, my wife had recently converted, and my mom gave her my email. Now, at the time, I had a girlfriend, and so, um, but oh wow, she wasn't the very godly woman. Praise God, I did not select her. And um, we emailed back and forth like twice. It's like, you know, I'm not looking. And this person on the other side of the planet. And I think she just emailed me because my mom pressured her so much. Was this back in the days when you got an email and it said, you've got mail? Yeah, it might have been. Yeah, I don't know if it was AOL, but uh, it was it was certainly uh, around that time. It was before Skype. And FaceTime and all that stuff. But uh, anyways, when my parents came back from that mission trip, they had all this video footage. And um, I'm pretty good at editing video and that kind of stuff. So I edited their video for their mission trip. And the pastor of the church liked it so well that the next year he came to me and was like, I'd like you to go and videotape, record it, and make something better. And we've already got your ticket. You know, so it's like, okay, great. Somebody's paid for me to go. And, you know, at the time, you should know I was still somewhat running from God's call to ministry and God was working in me. But Mm. when, um, so anyways, I was like, yeah, I'll go. So when I got over there, I I remembered, well, there's at least one person here that I've messaged. And so uh, we got off the airplane and that day we went to, they had a big celebration at at the beach and there my wife was, and we met, and we talked, and and then the pastor of that church over there in Filipino church kept telling me to tell her things in Filipino that I did not know what I was saying. <laughs> Stuff like, I love you, and you're beautiful, and oh wow, and he was just messing around. But uh, we started, you know, just talking, and got to, she would translate for me as I would preach and stuff or teach the children. And then I came home and broke up with the other girlfriend who uh, uh, um, was, uh, uh, again, not a godly person. And God had just began changing my heart. And we, we messaged each other through email. And then I went back the next year, and that's officially when we became boyfriend and girlfriend. And then a whole another year went by, and being a Boyfriend, girlfriend was really, in the time, just in name, in a sense, like, I have this girlfriend, guys, I swear I do. She's on the other side of the planet. You know, you tell me when nobody believes you. It's like your girlfriend from Canada. Yeah, yeah. And I've been sitting on the internet chatting with hot babes all day. (laughs) (laughs) Girlfriends all over. For Martin's benefit, that's a Napoleon Dynamite reference. Okay. And then... um, (laughs) Uh, what's Napoleon Dynamite? No, just, okay. I don't want to derail you here. Yeah, yeah. It's a movie. <laughs> Anyways, 
Um, so that after that second trip, that whole next year, we would type and text and send emails and um, we're able to do Yahoo Messenger was the thing. So. Oh, yeah. I remember that. And But I went back the third year, and I went back with the thought, this is kind of ridiculous. I've got this girlfriend around the planet. I'm either going to break up with her or I'm going to propose to her and we're going to get married. I didn't know which when I went. Oh, wow. When I went on that trip, I did not know which. But there was a, a godly man with me, an older man, and he was like, dude, you're an idiot if you break up with her. Do you like her? Yes. I mean, do you think she's attractive? Yes. Does she love God? Yes. And will she follow along as you lead her? Yes. And you're an idiot if you break up with her. Yeah. Right. He's like, I would marry her. And I was like, you're right. And so um, they had this church service, which they called like a, a, a reunion service. Where it was more of like uh, just singing and it was like fun and that kind of stuff. And again, she would be the person that would translate for me. So she got up to translate the announcements. And one of the announcements that she did not know was that I was proposing to her. You proposed to her during this service? Yes. Oh, my. And so I have a little video. You can actually go on YouTube and watch it. Yes. <laughs> so I, you know, because I, the congregation, they all kind of were always like, Pushing us. This video is going to be in the show notes, just so, for yeah, yeah, so yeah. everybody knows. <laughs> it's very shaky cam, so it's, okay. But um, that's because you got married so long ago. <laughs> it was <laughs> yeah, it stabilization. Did not have stabilization. <laughs> yeah, and the guy was so excited that he was the guy asked to film it. <laughs> but um, so I asked her to marry me, and she said yes. And wow. uh, then we had another year to get all the paperwork ready, and. Um, hmm. Video chat started somewhere around there. We got to do Yahoo video at that time for a little bit. Okay. And wow. then, um, but um, we went back, I went back the next year and we got married there in the Philippines. We had a ceremony there, uh, not the legal one, the uh, church ceremony there. And then we came back to the United States and got legally married. And so um, all in all, as far as being in each other's physical presence, probably four weeks all in all in, in four years you know it's like and not a whole lot of conversation i mean just chats and stuff like text stuff not much uh and yet um i do it a million times so as i'm listening to you talk this sounds like a a movie script yeah <laughs> and you know thinking about getting married for you christians who aren't married i think they hear your, they might hear your story and be like, Oh, that's so romantic. And that's so, and yeah, that's not how most people find a spouse. It's an extraordinary story. Yeah, It's incredible what God did with you and Rowena. But could you talk about what was important? I mean, cause on the one hand it's like, Oh, that's romantic. And on the other hand, that's, that's just crazy, Joseph. <laughs> I know it's crazy, especially for her. Think about this. Yeah, no kidding. She said yes. And then she was going to leave her family and come all the way around the world to a place she's never been before. Mm -hmm. So she'd never been in the States before. Never. She was... She'd never flown before. Oh, oh wow. wow. And, and at the time her English at least appeared to me to not be that great. Like, uh, uh, it was better than she let on. She let me talk in broken English to her as a, to death. <laughs> and, then, and then I realized she actually can speak really well. But um, so, yeah, it sounds very romantic and, and praise God, I love the story. But I think what 
was in it was that we both loved God. I know we were talking before we started and somebody just said, well, you know, as long as you have Jesus and there's a truth to that. Like if you both love God and you love Jesus and you're attract, there's the physical attraction a little bit. I mean, it's not like that's the most important thing, but it has to be there. And there was a, um, a willingness for her to be led and for me to lead. And I guess you might call that a, a just the chemistry of us that work together. I don't know how that's I do have weird, one question. Yeah. Like, is there, looking back on that story, is there anything that you wish you could tell your, how old were you when you got married? I was 30. How, is there anything you wish you'd go back and tell your 29-year-old self or your 31-year-old self now that you think would have been helpful that you learned in the years since then? That's a good question. Yes, it would, I would simply have gone back and, and done it earlier. <laughs> but um, so, but my story is unique in the sense that's not everybody's story. Is what Pastor Dave is saying. But there are elements of that that are important. Which is, I, I think, one of the, I got married at thirty, and one of the reasons maybe it take longer other than not having the right person is that. Uh, I think in Americans, we build up a whole lot in our minds about what it means to be married. And you look back through the history of the world, the history of the church, and even in the Bible, um, a lot of the things that we think are so vital and important are not that important. For example, I've I've heard people that are breaking up or have broken up with someone because they didn't like the same music or the same... <laughs> oh, wow. You know, it's yeah. like they're looking for all these, like, I got to have somebody that meets all my interests. And it's like, dude, you just want a dude. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then, or, well, well, one of the things that I found that's really, uh, it just kind of gives me facial tics is whenever I see married couples say, I married my best friend, I'm always just like, you, know, you can't <laughs> see me, but I'm just like, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. Something's, you, that's, that's just crazy. Yeah. And he was your a, best man. He wasn't. The right? Right. Well, so can you talk about that? Like, like, okay, so here's marriage. You have this story of God and how he worked for, a, a guy from rural West Virginia and a young lady who grew up in a Catholic family. She grew up in a Catholic family. She was rural. She was rural so Philippines. Rural, both yeah. rural, but completely different cultures, yes. completely different cultures. Yep. And you guys come together with no, with what anyone today would have considered as like, not, how do you, can you marry somebody you don't know? And yet you've been married how long now? 13 years. And you're expecting your eighth? Eighth child. That's correct. And you're happy. I'm absolutely happy, yes. And your wife's happy. I hope so, yes. <laughs> <laughs> interview her, but I think she is. Right. But I think it's it's possible for people to look at that and say, oh, well, that's just beyond, like, that's just crazy. And, like, it's out of reach. And so if we strip away all of the extraordinary circumstances, missions trip, overseas, cultures and stuff there are some things that are true for you and rowena as you guys got married that were that were top priorities that have been the bedrock the foundation for why you're still married happily married with a growing family and i don't think it's because you'd say she's my best friend you're not like like does your wife understand everything about you well, no, I mean, maybe now we're much closer, you know, obviously, but at first, no, we didn't. I mean, like I said, we didn't know everything there was to know, like, and we didn't have, there was thing we didn't talk about movies and all that stuff that people think they have to have all these interested in. So what, right? do, you, so what do you say? So as a pastor kind of, you know, you've, you've got more than one perspective on this. You've got your own experience. 
and you've got your experience as a pastor. How many weddings have you done? You may not know the exact number, but two, 20. I've done a few. Plus, I was, I was a, before I was a pastor, I was a DJ. I've done hundreds of weddings. As a DJ. Yeah, yeah. So I've seen it all. I've seen, I've seen people, uh, I think this ain't going to make it. They had a, there was one where a, uh, a father of the bride got in a fight with the groom during the reception. I mean, I had music cranked. Oh, wow. And it was louder than the music, and they just told me to cut it and go home, and it was over. Like the first, <laughs> wow. Wow. Oh, oh, that ain't making it, man. But uh, oh, no. so I've seen a lot. So the, but there are things that are the same here, and that is we had a commitment to God, a commitment to love each other. That, for example, divorce is not a word in our vocabulary; it's off the table. It's, what do you mean by that? What I mean is that we—it's just not an option for us. We are completely committed. Obviously, there's always. The area is where it is, but we are not going to get divorced. You mean you don't threaten divorce? And that was something that you understood going in is like, we're burning the ships. Yeah. Like, yes. we're in this. Yeah. And so what you did was you put all of the pressure of the decision before the decision was made in a hope to prevent the regret later. Do you find as a pastor that when people are dating Christians, I mean, we could talk about unbelievers, but I think we're probably better suited to talk about Christians dating. Is it your observation that Christians don't scrutinize the relationship and the pairing as well as they should before they're married. And that that actually causes a problem once they're married because they, they were more concerned about whether they have had the same musical interests instead of the things that actually make for a sustainable marriage. So how should they scrutinize better? Like what, what can we be more specific about what, how to scrutinize to, to have I guess a better it's, pairing? It's looking for the priorities of what's important. And again, it is a love of Christ. It is a, are you going to head in the same direction? So at that, as I told you, I was running from the call to ministry a little bit at the time. And yet God, that first trip to the Philippines was when God worked that out in me. And so it, it, she knew that I was going to become a pastor and that's where I was headed. So she was on board with the direction that we're going to be going. And did she know what that meant though? No, I didn't know what it meant. <laughs> you know well, what I mean? Like we didn't, we both didn't. No, well, yeah, I, I just think that's important to say that like when you get married, right. if you look at the vows for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer in sickness and in health till death separates us, like what do those vows mean? Except that you have no idea what's coming. Yeah. Other than you're going to commit to serving the Lord together through it all. Mm -hmm. And that's what it sounds like you was top of the list for you guys was like, we don't know what the future exactly is going to be. We're not even trying to write that story, but we're trying to build a marriage and a family that can withstand and walk through those things with God's help. Yeah. And we're, and we're going to have faith that God is going to guide us and get us through. In fact, that's been the key throughout our whole marriage is trusting God to provide, trusting God to, to get us through different issues so you guys never had any you never had any troubles with that <laughs> well i mean yeah I mean, we've all had trials and struggles yeah. about uh, about that and yet at the same time we've had to remind each other of that and we get through it like uh um one example of this is when after we got married she came here um we felt that god was calling us to go to seminary and um, we applied to different seminaries, and I went. I got approved at the Southern Baptist Seminary in Louisville, 
And one of the things we asked God was like, well, if you want us to go there, you need to provide a place for us to live on campus. And he did. The place came open. The problem was we had no money right. and no jobs. Right. And so we're leaving West Virginia and we're going to this place. We know God's called us to it. And so we go without money, without jobs. School's going to start. I don't know how I'm going to pay for it. Um, the day that we arrived in Louisville, though, we both got jobs. My work, wife worked on campus. We didn't have any children at the time, so she worked on campus, and I worked at Valvoline with uh, – um, well, I won't bring him up. But, so you're uh, a grease monkey. Yes. Yeah. And um, But isn't that irresponsible, what you did? No. Getting married without any plan. No. Okay, but open that up because – when you, when you know if if Christians are listening to what's going on in society, like marriage is off the table. So then, if they're listening to Christians, it's very common to say, "Well, you need to have gotten through school. You need to be established." And this is not just true for the men, but for the women. There's this trajectory, this arc of like, and then marriage. You didn't follow any of that. So, like, because I just don't want people to look at listen to your story and say, "Oh, well, pff, he's an idiot." Well, and, I am an idiot, but well, God has been good, <laughs> right? So the the. But the truth is, it, what is marriage? If you look in the scripture, it's it it's the f- man and woman building something together, and they don't necessarily know what it. I mean, if you think me getting married that quickly is crazy, consider that Adam was a day old when he got married. Right. <laughs> it was the first thing he did. Yeah. So it, it the whole purpose of of marriage is to be building a life together, and I think we've got that backwards in America. Is why the the marriage rates keep getting older and older because we think we have to have the life built and then we put them together. And the problem with that is it is hard to bring two built lives together. Yeah, no way because you're all set in all your stuff and um, there's no building life together. And so some of this is you have to have faith to get married and 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 at least a Christian marriage. I want to bring go back to the burning the ships thing for a quick second, um, because I, I remember when I was preparing to get married, like some of the conversations that I had or that my wife relayed to me is that, <clears throat> and I think this ties into the idea that you should, like people, everyone should finish college before you get married. Um, the reason people want, like people wanted my wife to finish college before we got married, and she didn't, but um, they wanted to that. say people, but... People, your parents. I, I don't remember. It was somebody in her family that she. I, I forget who it was at this point. But basically, the idea is that they wanted her to be able to uh, get a good job in case we got divorced. Right. A plan and, B. Uh, yeah. Plan uh, B. That and the other thing was <clears throat> they would tell her things like, "Well, make sure you always have like your egg money," is what they called it. Like you have this like stash of private money that your husband doesn't know about, and that way, so if they're you setting have to you up leave, for divorce. Yeah. Is what you're doing. Because when you start planning for divorce before the marriage, right. your yeah. plans often work out. Right. So <laughs> so you were talking about, you know, burning the ships mentality, which is a war analogy that just says when we when we when we establish a beachhead, like we're not going to leave ourselves the out of retreat. We're going to burn the ships we came to this land on. Like we're gonna li- we're either gonna conquer this land or we're gonna die in this land, but we can't get away from this land. Right. And so that's what you mean by burn the ships. And that really needs to be a Christian's approach to marriage. And it's and, and here's the thing. If you were in war and that was your approach, it's stinking scary. Mm-hmm. It's like you kidding me? And yet they that's the uh 
that needs to be the Christian's mentality. If I could tell a story about when we got engaged, without going into the whole story, when Vanessa and I were, uh, when I met, we met, I became a Christian through our dating relationship. Don't recommend any of the stuff we did because it's, it was very painful and doesn't typically end up with good results. However, we had dated and then we broken up. We'd gotten counsel that said that you guys ought to break up. And so we did, we broke up. And then as we were getting back together, or I was looking at the prospect of us getting back together, I had a meeting with a pastor and I'm just a young single guy, 23. I just turned 24 when we got married. So I would have been 23 young, two years into the faith, like not an old mature Christian, didn't grow up in the in Christian home or anything like that. And so I go into this meeting with the pastor and his wife and he opened the meeting with prayer. And it, it's worth noting, this couple was the same couple that said we ought to break up, but that was their counsel that we ought to break up. So I'm kind of coming back and being like, so, you know, time has passed, things have changed. Um, I've been working on it. Um, I want to get your, you know, your opinion. And so the pastor prays, and I kid you not, he, he says amen. He looks up from saying amen, and he says, why should I even believe you're a Christian? Mm. And I was like, ugh. <laughs> I didn't know that's how we were going to start off this conversation. <laughs> and so I just kind of chuckled at him and laughed, you know. And it wasn't, it wasn't a nervous laugh for like, why did you ask me that? But then he pressed me again because I, I didn't answer. I just kind of chuckled. And he says, I'm serious. Why should I even believe you're a Christian? You're here wanting to know about getting married. I want to know why I should even believe you're a Christian. And I just kind of chuckled some more. And the third time he asked me, he's leaning across the desk. And he wasn't like threatening to hit me or something, but he was being aggressive in his questioning of me. And I said to him, I eventually I answered and I said to him, I said, the reason you should, what I said to him was, if you don't think I'm a Christian, you missed your opportunity to say so. And he's like, what do you mean? And I said, well, you baptized me like three weeks ago. <laughs> he was a pastor of the church I was going through at the time, you know? And, and then he chuckled and he laughed and he sat back and he said, well, okay. And I didn't know, for years, I'm not kidding, for over a decade, I thought the whole thing was a joke. I thought he was joking with me. I thought this was just like a fun, fun for him. It wasn't fun for me. I thought maybe it was fun for him. And years later, he said to me, he says, no, it was never a joke. And I'm like, well, well, you were serious? And he's like, yeah. And he said, what I wanted to know is if you had the backbone to stand up when things got hard. Wow. And that that's why he questioned me. And I was just like, oh, so this was marriage prep? That's what that question was. <laughs> and so, like, are you going to be able to handle it when the heat's on as a man was what he was probing in me. And when we talk about, like, what do people need, what needs to be true about you? before you get married. One of the things we've said is like, it doesn't need to be true that you've got your life all together financially or career wise or any of that, though. Those are good things. We're not sitting here saying none of that matters and you don't need to worry about it. Live in a cardboard box. No, but that we don't, we're not putting all of these mile markers in front of marriage, finish college, get a job, all these things, be smart, like work hard, be smart financially, like look, work for the future. Yes. So those are some of the things that the world might put in front of us. What sorts of things do Christians put in front of us? Well, unfortunately, some of those same things. But when I look at young Christians, men or women, and, th and there's a little difference in what they're looking for. When, I'm, when we're trying to figure out what should you have at the top of your priority list when you're trying to find a spouse, 
what would you like? Can you, can you, you've already said, well, you need to trust Jesus, you know, but if you could speak to the men, like if I was a man, these are the three things I'd say, this is what you need to prioritize in looking for a wife. And then the same for a woman. Yeah. For a man looking for a wife, we are, we said, uh, loving Jesus, uh, I would say you're physically attracted to some degree. And then this is what I would argue is the most important. Is she leadable and teachable? Um, you do not want to uh, – people talk about and brag it on the internet that, man, I want a fiery wife or, or you know, you're not man enough to handle this, this woman. But really, what man wants a woman that they're going to have to fight the whole time they're married? So is this a, a woman that has a gentle and quiet spirit? And um, you might test it along the way. Like, will she let you take pick the restaurant you go to when you're out on a date? Like, or is she always got to have her way on all these things? She's always fighting you on stuff, right? If, if you're that's the way that's happening, I, I would run because if you're fighting over who's going to make decisions before the marriage, then that's what your whole marriage is going to be. And so. <laughs> Um, I, I mean, God changes people's hearts. And that, that's another thing I would look for. Is this a woman that that um, is forgiving? I, I think you would look both women, man and woman. You want to look for somebody that has a heart of forgiveness towards people, right? Um, doesn't hold grudges um, because you're going to sin a lot against each other. And one of the ways you make it through is I forgive you and you move on. And um, – so that's the gentle and quiet spirit that I would be looking for is, is she leadable and merciful? Um, and so uh, you might want to elaborate some more on that. Well, I think that's right. I'm, I'm maybe, you know, I'm trying to draw out your thoughts. I, I mean, we have you up here. I want to hear what you have to say in terms of cultural engagement. I find that a lot of reformed men, are looking for reformed women who have all of their same theological peculiarities. And I have not found myself to be very impressed with reformed men or reformed women when it comes to their priorities about getting married. That, um, Well, see, those, those things are good, but they don't matter as much, right? So does she love Jesus doesn't mean does she... Is she a Westminsterian? Follows the she subscribes to the whole thing, right? And she oh, can, but it's even more specific than that. She oh, yeah, yeah, wait, but she's postmillennial, <laughs> yeah. and she's theonomic, and she's done all. Does she believe in a tincture? Or yes, right. yeah. Well, she knows who the Nephilim are and all that stuff, right? So it's like, well, we're all chuckling, but as a pastor, haven't you sat in conversations with people who are like they, they literally in their dating conversations? I have at least. They're fighting about this. Like they're having real fights and processing whether they're going to stick it out based on this stuff. Well, that does bring up one thing that I wanted to kind of ask about for you to unpack a little bit for us, because when I hear, when I hear you all talk about a meek and quiet spirit, I think God's graced me with a really great wife. Um, and she's teachable and she's followed me. That doesn't mean that she doesn't have any of her own opinions. <laughs> okay. Now, Tim sitting across from me, his wife uh, is very teachable and quiet spirited. And sometimes I don't know if she has her own opinions or not, or if she just checks in with Tim to find out what they're You'd supposed be surprised. to be. I, I, I can imagine being surprised. I'm just saying what that actually looks like. So sometimes when a guy's listening to that, I, I can imagine a reformed guy listening to you say she needs to have a meek and quiet spirit. And it's like, well, 
she's arguing with me about this and insert uber fine point of theology that she sees slightly different than he does. And he feels like that she needs to just whatever he says about that. Does that make sense? So I don't know how you unpack the difference between just a, uh, a, a good godly woman who's teachable, but who also is intelligent and has opinions. And on the other hand, a woman who's unwilling to, to hear and is intractable. Do you, do you see what I'm talking about? Like how, how does that work its way out in, in a, in a guy trying to find a good wife? Yeah. So headship and submission is a big deal. When Joseph says leadership, that's what I think about is headship and submission. And I'm afraid that it's a drum that you can beat too often in a relationship <laughs> yeah. and that you, you actually men in looking for a spouse will end up exasperating a woman because they're always trying to prove whether she'll submit. It's almost like, it's like a game. It's like, how, how crazy can my requests be before you will become intractable. It's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's like, I'm going to push, 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 push. And then when you break, I'm going to say, see, that's the problem. And it's like, no, you idiot. <laughs> like you weren't living with her in an understanding way. You weren't loving her. Like I tell people when it comes to arguments in marriage, I'm like, if it comes down to a honey, I'm the husband and I'm, I, it's my responsibility to make this choice. So this conversation's over and this is the decision. If that's the normal way that conflicts get resolved in your marriage, you have problems. Yes. Wow. You okay. have real problems. Right. And I'm afraid that a lot of reformed men, guys in our circles, they, they're, they're like, so like, well, I'm the man, you know? And it's like, seriously, dude, like I'm not, and I'm not in favor of like, Oh, servant lead. We need to be servant leaders and we need to, we have tie breaking authority or any of that. But it's like, is there anything else besides <laughs> like servant leadership right. and tie breaking authority and like knuckles dragging on the ground yeah. being this, like, I'm just going to push and push and push and push and push to the point where you, you are, you are overwhelmed. And then I'm going to say, and there's the problem. Like, can we seriously, can you like a good godly woman who is teachable will disagree with you and needs to disagree with you because it turns out you're an idiot. <laughs> like you have some real, I know I'm way less confident of the decisions that I make now than I was when I was 25. Right. Yeah. I knew way more then. I, mean, I, was, I, I really had all figured out, you know, and a lot of that is I can, I can draw a straight line to saying like the fights that my wife has picked with me and said, Hey dude, yeah. this thing, it's awful. And it's like, well, is she being unsubmissive? Is she not having a gentle and quiet spirit? I end up thanking God, not always in the moment like I should, but eventually for saying, I'm glad that God gave me a stubborn woman because I'm a stubborn man. Mm -hmm. Like when we were in premarital counseling, one of the, the primary concerns of them, those doing our counseling was that I would just overwhelm my wife because I'm big and I'm loud and I'm pushy. Mm -hmm. And they're just like, this poor girl is so quiet and so uh, deferential that she's just going to get steamrolled. Mm -hmm. And it turned out as we were in counseling and as they got to know her a little bit better, they realized that that was not the thing they needed to be concerned about. That in fact, she was good for me because while she is quiet and she is deferential, she has opinions and she will let you know what they are and fight for them. And, and I don't mean like in this perfect way where our fights were always the most productive and always, you know, the most godly. Listen, I wish that were the case, not always the case. Yeah. 
but she was able to be helpful to me. And what I've realized is I needed someone who had a strong enough personality. Now, do I appreciate, did I go looking for a woman who would fight with me? No. Did God, was God gracious in giving me a woman strong enough to help me in the points where I'm most weak? Yes. Very thankful for that. And, and, and that's just me. Some men are, you know, I think Joseph is a lot more mild mannered and compassionate than I am impatient by nature. Like I'm way more of a, I don't know what the word is, fighter, uh, jerk, (laughs) whatever. (laughs) But I'm often impressed by Joseph's patience. And um, You you told us once that empathy is not one of the gifts that your wife uh, would attribute to you. Yeah, no, yeah. Uh, I'm working on it. And so... And let me jump in on the patience point for a second. Um, I had a conversation with uh, one, one of the elders at one of our churches um, not that long ago, and we were talking about one of those side secondary issues that the reform types like to argue about, and I I, I got his opinion on it, and um, and then a- after he told me, I was like, well, what does your wife think about that? And he's like, well. Um, we haven't talked about it. And they've been married for years and years. And um, basically he, what he was talking about is that like he had other things that needed to happen first and were a lot more important. And he just hadn't gotten around to it. And um, I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. That like When Pastor Dave talks about these guys wanting all their, their wife to agree with them on all the, these finer points, um, like there is actually stuff that they ought to be um, – they probably ought to be addressing first. And, like, if you get to post-mill and, and theonomic stuff in, in 10 or 15 years, like, okay, but, like, you probably have bigger fish to fry, and you should be patient. And the other thing I would say, too, is just that I think good leadership is bringing people along a little more slowly and being willing for them to realize some of these things on their own without having to fight about it. Um, Something yeah, but- I noticed... I'm sorry, I interrupted you, Pastor. No, go ahead. Uh, well, what I do notice listening to your sto- two stories as I hear them, the the unifying factor that I hear is that actually there was a lot of involvement from people outside of the two of you mm-hmm. that that was giving you directions. Because I really question whether any young man is going to be able to whether most young men are able to parse out the fine points of is this girl teachable? Is she? But when other people are looking on, they can they can give direction and say. Like Pastor Dave, they they would say to you, you know, at one point they were like, we don't think you're right for each other, and then later they 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 recognized that, that you were good for each other. And uh, Pastor Spurgeon, you kind of said more or less the same thing that there were other people that were involved that helped that helped push you in the right direction. And I think for a lot of young guys, they're just trying to do this. They're determined that they're the final arbiter of whether or not this is the right or wrong thing, and no one else can speak into that. And I I do wonder how much that that has to do with some of the issues we're talking about. You know, um, I host the patriarchy podcast. So in the patriarchy circles, it's all about the father tells the daughter who is the Mary, but the sons are all left off to do whatever they want. <laughs> right. And so my wife and I have talked with our kids. Yes. Uh, the daughters need to have their, their, the ones come and talk to me and I'll help them. But so do the sons, the sons need to get the advice from their, their fathers and their mothers. And, 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 I grew up in a in a time when parents were pretty hands off regarding a lot of that. Like you turned sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, and what do you want to be when you grow up? You decide it all and you do it all yourself. And that's a terrible place to be. 
And so, yeah, you should if you you should seek out your parents' advice. If they're not godly people, then then you've got fathers and mothers in the church that should be able to see and and help you. And you know, um, it, uh, the, as we talk about finding a spouse, and you think about it in in our day, it's going to be that's a difficult time. It's a difficult thing to to do. Do you think it's harder now than it was it has been in the past? Because I hear a lot of guys say that they're like, "Well, you don't understand. It's so much harder now." I think I think there there it is because churches are not as full. You know what I mean? There's not as many people that to pick from now, as far as Christians, and so. But on the other hand, our world is a lot more interconnected than it's ever been. So you don't necessarily have to find somebody just in your congregation. That's easier to do now than it's probably ever been sure. to, to go outside of your congregation, but. Um, it is difficult now, and that's why you need other people. If you're just trying to do it all on your own, that's difficult. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it feels to me like the whole idea of dating and picking a spouse. It seems that our culture has come to the point, Christian culture, Reformed culture, has come to the point where we've developed our laundry list of uh, priorities. And it almost feels to me like in business where marketing and making yourself available is so much more accessible now than it used to be. But what I found in business is that the old way of the, the best advertising is free, which is word of mouth. And that for all of the online gimmicks and stuff, that's still the best advertising you can get. And I think that's still true of marriage. That actually, if, if, we've, if we've created an environment where we pick our spouses based on whether or not we line up in terms of interest online, for one, people just aren't honest online. <laughs> can we just say, like, you're lying on your Christian dating site. And it's not, a, it's not an intentional deception. It's just that you're trying to put your best foot forward. And it's just not always the truth like you're not putting your bad days up there and the things that are of, of greater importance like do the people around you who who don't have those same commitments to put the best foot forward what do they have to say about you what do they think you would you is going to be really important in the spouse that you to be a to be a good marriage i remember saying to a man years ago this before i was even a pastor i was in pastor's college and i remember saying to a guy who was lamenting the fact that um, a young lady that he like just he didn't, she didn't have any interest in him, and it was painful to watch because he he tried hard, and she just didn't. It wasn't working, and I just said to him, I said, "Dude, you don't need her." And what I meant was not that she was a bad girl; she's actually was a sweet girl. But I was like, "Dude, you given your temperament and your personality, you need a woman who is incredibly patient, who is long suffering." who is very supportive because he was, he was sort of melancholic by nature. And I think when we pick a spouse, we don't often think about what our weaknesses are. Mm -hmm. And in our spouse, we need someone who will help those weaknesses yeah. and strengthen those weaknesses. Everyone's like, oh, we need to line up and be all the same. And I'm like, ah, so what happens when you're both bad at the same thing? Like who helps then? And so I said, instead of, you know, having this laundry list of, of things, whether, and that could be, she needs to be super attractive or she needs to be super intelligent or she needs to be good at grinding her own wheat and making her own bread and doing everything from scratch or whatever the priority is, literally whatever the priority is that actually one of the things you should do is you're looking at, um, 
what you should look for in a spouse, one of the things you need to do is you need to look in the mirror and say, hey, what am I bad at? Mm -hmm. And the way you're going to find out what you're bad at, especially as a young man or a young woman, is by having the people who know you well say, you're going to need someone who's got these qualities because you're going to need this kind of help. And, and, and God has his way of, of lining people up like that through overseas missions, trips, or meeting at a pool hall mm-hmm. one night, you know? <laughs> Opposites attract. I mean, that's they, the thing, right? Do. God puts people together. I mean, yeah. that's... But it's weird that, that it's like we don't want to marry an opposite. We want to marry... We want a homosexual. Oh, like a, <laughs> we want to marry myself. Unpack that. I don't mean to say homosexual, but I mean like, uh, what's the word? We want what's somebody the, just like us. Yeah, we, we want yeah, a homogenous yeah, yeah. marriage. Homogenous. Yeah. We want. So, we want somebody that doesn't rub our rub our well, our sensitive spots and and makes us feel really good all the time. Well, and one and of the things that's not always the best. Yeah, for us. and here's one of the things I've learned about young people is it's like they think that marriage doesn't require. It's like no assembly required. It's like they want a spouse who comes like pre pre-programmed with all the stuff that they're supposed to be. And what I end up finding out is that that's just because you don't want to do the work. So you want a wife who's already submissive and a wife who's already got all of your opinions and a wife who's already got all the same ideals because you don't actually think you should have to lead her. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, you're going to have a hard time. It goes back into what I was talking about. You're you're meant to build the life together, which means there's work to be done to grow together. I always tell people, in our marriage counseling, premarital counseling, you're not who you're going to be. You're not. Ma- you're marrying a person today that's not going to be the person that's going to be ten years from now. Mm-hmm. So, what do you guys talk about in premarital counseling? Can you guys give us a little top bit of secret? Off. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, we charge top dollar for that. Man. <laughs> <laughs> so